Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's great books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 200 of the great books over the next 10 years and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each of the great books. Today, I'm going to cover The Odyssey by Homer. This is book 41 for my 2023 reading list, and it's book seven on my great books list. Tell me about a complicated man. Muse, tell me how he wandered and was lost when he had wrecked the holy town of Troy, and where he went and who he met, the pain he suffered in the storms at sea, and how he worked to save his life and bring his men back home. He failed to keep them safe, poor fools. They ate the sun god's cattle, and the god kept them from home. Now, goddess, child of Zeus, tell the old story for our modern times. Find the beginning. Well, it's the very first portion of the Odyssey, and that is Emily Wilson's translation. Last week, I started off the episode about the Iliad. I started that by reading that very first section as well. And in the Iliad, there were two... threads that pulled throughout the story that were that were right there in that first section and those were the wrath of Achilles and the will of Zeus and they they pulled throughout the story you could you could see them all throughout and then they just they came together at the end in just a masterful way and and that was uh, the the main thing I highlighted in the previous episode of the podcast. So taking that cue from Homer that he places importance on that very first section, I, I wanted to start this episode by reading that part, but then just also highlight what is in that that very first part to make sure that we're paying attention to that as, as we're reading through the Odyssey. So if I could boil down the Iliad to one word, it, it would be wrath or rage. And it's actually the very first word in Greek in the Iliad. So uh, it just starts off wrath or, or, or rage, however the translator translates it. And that's the very first word in Greek. It may be later on in the sentence uh, in the translation in, in English, but the very first word in Greek is that wrath or rage. For the Odyssey, the very first word is man. And the way that uh, that Emily Wilson translates it here is a complicated man, and she's gotten a lot of heat for that for that uh, translation. But here's so, how some of the other translators put it: Robert Fagels called Odysseus the man of twists and turns. Robert Fitzgerald called him that man skilled in all ways of contending. Peter Green, that resourceful man. W. H. D. Rouse, a man. One who was never at a loss, in Richard Lattimore, the man of many ways. I tend to think of him as shrewd. The 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 word that comes up for for me in my my mind is is shrewd. Odysseus is shrewd. He he knows what to do in different circumstances, and it actually reminded me a lot of of Dave, David, King David in in the Hebrew Bible. I I, I read as part of a Catherine project reading group last year, I read through first and second Samuel. And the thing that really stuck out to me about reading about David is just how shrewd he was and crafty. And I, I got, I, I got that same sense here with, with Odysseus. And there's even a part where Athena reminds Zeus that, that Odysseus is more sensible than other humans. And the, the word for this, the, the Greek word that is used, and, and sorry if I butcher this, but is, is metis, so M-E-T-I-S. And what that, what that means is, uh, well, let me, let me just read this part in the introduction here by, by Emily Wilson. In myth, Athena's mother is metis, 
a goddess who is the personification of Odysseus's central quality, Metis, which means cunning, skill, scheming, or purpose. It is the kind of cleverness that enables one to prepare for any new challenge and to come out as a winner. Unlike the English word wisdom, which tends to suggest a, a staid, peaceful, possibly moral kind of intelligence acquired by, year, acquired by years of experience, Metis suggests cunning plots and deception employed in the service of self-interest. It's not necessarily seen as a bad thing. Metis is, is very useful quality for a person who hopes to survive in a dangerous environment. End quote. So the... the the words that I kept thinking about, and, and this might be a fun thing for you to to consider as you're reading through the Odyssey, is just what what word would you give to Odyssey? How would how would you describe the man? You just heard, you know, it's the very first word in in this epic. Uh, as you're reading about him, how would you describe him? And here here are some of the words that I I thought of: uh, shrewd, savvy, clever, cunning, crafty, complex, wily. I, th I wrote down James Bond at one point. So uh, James Bond, just in, in the sense of knowing what to do, but also having that edge about him where he can kill when necessary. Uh, I, I, so yeah, just he almost had like a James Bond, you know, someone more uh, modern that we might be familiar with. I, I, I had that kind of feel. He's sophisticated, but with a dark side. So I, uh, a good, that's a good place to, to to start with with Odysseus as you're reading through the Odyssey. It's just, you know, what kind of word would you use for him? Uh, complicated man. I, I didn't think that got to the heart of it because there's there's almost like a, a negative connotation with complicated uh, before talking about a, a person. It, it doesn't, it's, it, I don't get the sense that it's a, a good thing. It's, it's almost like a, a very negative term in front of, of, of a man, even using, even using the word complicated as opposed to crafty or something like that, or, or clever or cunning. So while Odysseus is the main part of this book in his journey, I mean, the Odyssey is the title. If we were to narrow down this book to just one word, I, I would think it would be either, something either about a journey, a hospitality, perhaps even revenge. Uh, but one, one word that, that does, and one idea that does come up over and over is that hospitality. And you could view this entire book through that lens as well. So how did people take Odysseus in? He's a traveler. A lot of times he, is, he has been lost at sea. A lot of times he's, he's coming in uh, with, with nothing in hand. He's, he's in a bad space. He's in a bad place. How did people take him in? Uh, how did the suitors behave in his house? How was hospitality perverted in the variety of places that took Odysseus in, whether it was one person or a whole uh, group of people? How did people behave when they didn't know it was Odysseus? Were they welcoming? Were they off-putting? You just see this kind of throughout. And, and what's great is there's there's comparisons throughout of, of how some people treat him compared to others, how some may... Some situations may look like a good thing, but they're actually a really bad thing. Uh, maybe maybe some people are really good at one aspect of hospitality or friendship, but they're really bad in, at another portion of it. So just in terms of, of kind of going into the the epic, it's a great way just to, to read it and, and look at how Odysseus is treated in these different ways, kind of through the lens of, of hospitality or friendship. And if we go back to the Iliad, we saw this concept of guest friendship of how those bonds could could surpass even 
killing in in war there there's a part where where enemies meet on the battlefield and they realize that their families had 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 a special bond of of guest friendship and they decided not to to kill each other at that point and so the, the these these bonds can be really really strong and one way that uh, in the in the introduction of of the odyssey here with with emily wilson she talked about this hospitality or friendship uh the the greek word xenia as being a networking expansion from family to city state and beyond so you you first have your your nuclear family and then you uh, if maybe you take someone in you you have established a a bond with that person you've established a guest friendship uh that that allows you to network across city states uh so it, i i liked that that idea of, of just kind of making connections uh not you know outside of your family but then even beyond that and so there, there's a part where Odysseus's men, and, and you heard that in that very part, first part I read at the beginning, where Odysseus's men kill the cattle, and they're staying uh, at a place that's controlled by the sun god, and the sun god made it very clear, you do not touch my cattle, you do not kill my cattle, you do not eat my cattle, and Odysseus's men do that, and that is a that's a very big no-no, and Odysseus's men pay the price for that. So there's there's hospitality, friendship, both on. Uh, both on the side of being given to Odysseus, but then also how does Odysseus, how does he act uh, and how do his men act on, on that as well? So there's just a few things that uh, that were kind of overarching themes in in the book. I first read the Odyssey 20 years ago. I was part of a continuing education course and we read through the Odyssey. This was with Emory University in Atlanta. And unfortunately, uh, the professor for the course had a deeper love affair with Carl Jung than she did with Homer. So we ended up reading the Odyssey through the lens of, of Carl Jung rather than just reading Homer and discussing the the epic. So that, that was a bummer, but uh, I did I did read it. So whereas I went in fresh with the Iliad, not having read that before, with the Odyssey, this was this was a reread. However, it was a long time ago, and uh, it was I, I perhaps didn't go as deep as I could have, uh, just because we were talking so much about Carl Jung at the time. Uh, so I, I remembered parts of it, but also there there were parts that that uh, that were 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 fresh to me. And in the Odyssey, I mean, it's a very famous story. So you, you hear about things that happen in here in different places as well, whether it's it's uh, the, the sirens, the song of the sirens, that kind of thing. So th there's a lot that, that you recognize just by watching movies or, or reading other books, that kind of thing. But um, but yeah, it was interesting reading it for, for the second time. Uh, as for my initial reaction, um, I, I found it to be more mythological and in fantasy based than than the Iliad. The Iliad to me was just raw and real. And the Odyssey, uh, there's there's a lot of kind of fantastical things with monsters and and uh, six headed creatures and in that sort of thing. Uh, so there, there's just a lot more that takes place in kind of fantasy land than than the Iliad. I, I liked the Iliad a lot better. Um, I, I just found so much in it, I, that, that 
I thought was incredible. There's some amazing things in the Odyssey too. I will cover those in this episode. But uh, if there if there's kind of a battle between the Odyssey and the Iliad, I uh, I, I liked the Iliad better. I actually posed that question on Twitter just uh, yesterday, and the overwhelming response was a preference for the Odyssey. So I I lose in that battle, but uh, but it, it is it, it's kind of fun to compare and contrast the two. Speaking of contrasting, the the biggest thing that stuck out to me in the Odyssey were the, were the contrasts within, and there there's just comparisons throughout in the sense of characters being compared with one, one another, uh, situations of hospitality being compared with one another, wives being compared. Uh, just there's so many comparisons throughout the story, and what what I realized and perhaps hadn't given a lot of thought to before is just how powerful those contrasts are in literature because it 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 offers such a broader view of one side so e- even if you're just reading about one person in your mind you're thinking wow this 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 person is a lot like this other person i read about earlier in the odyssey um but they have these major differences and that allows you to see how important this particular trait is in a person or how this honor or this, this, the way this person behaves, how that's different and how this is really good or helpful or or even helpful in a particular situation. It just, it's amazing. I'll get into this a little bit later, but, but that was in, in, in terms of an initial response. uh, I just, I was astounded by that. And I think it's, I think it's going to, be something that I look for in literature going forward. It's just, you know, we've got this character here. Is there a contrasting character in this narrative that that helps us get a little more insight into into this character or situation or that kind of thing? As for reading stats, I read this the ver- very first part of November here, so November 1st through 15. It's a 525-page book, which includes the introduction. And I uh, it took me, just it, just for the epic, it took me 12 hours and 22 minutes to read it. Uh, with the introduction, that was about 15 hours and 13 minutes total. So uh, I contrast that with the Iliad, which uh, that took a lot longer to read the Iliad. But uh, the Odyssey, I, I got through that one a lot quicker. So uh, it was over, over 15 days there. And then in terms of the way I read I read it, I, I jumped right to the story first, and then I went back to read the introduction afterwards. And if you've not read the Odyssey, I highly recommend you do that. Please just go to the please just go to the to the epic first and and read it and then and then go back and no matter what translation you read, then go back and see what the the uh, the translator said in the in the introduction you don't want to you don't want to lose that magic beforehand and and so i'm glad i did that and just in general too like if you've not read the odyssey i would suggest just pausing this episode and and waiting until until you've read it i don't want to give any spoilers away there there will be spoilers in this in this episode um, I do plan to reread the Odyssey. I'll probably be doing that here in the in the next week, and I'll be using the Robert Fitzgerald translation. Uh, I'll be utilizing a companion guide during that reading as well, and I will also be part of a Catherine Project tutorial over the next month, where we will be covering 
the Odyssey. We start that uh, this upcoming week. So we've been going through the Iliad. That's been incredible. Uh, so helpful and just in understanding. And then next week starts the portion about the Odyssey. So I'll be discussing this book a lot over the next month. I'll be reading another version of it. And uh, perhaps I'll do another episode on it just after I've, I've been uh, involved in it again for for about another half a month here so this this episode will have two more segments in the next segment i'll cover three things that stuck out or actually four things that stuck out to me in the odyssey and then in the final segment i'll cover the one thing my one key takeaway from the odyssey by homer well, as i mentioned in that first portion the thing that stuck out to me the most was just the contrast and the counterpoints that that exist throughout the Odyssey. So I wanted to highlight a few of those in this section. And the one that stuck out the most was uh, was the part where Odysseus comes back to his house and he comes back as a beggar. So Athena transforms his appearance so he looks ragged. He's got these rags that he's wearing. He uh, his his skin is paler. Like it, it just changes his whole appearance to where uh, people d- that that knew him. Uh, can't even recognize him. And so he comes as a beggar. And and the thing that's just astonishing about that is that his house is full of suitors. They're trying to, they think Odysseus is dead. And so they're trying to get Odysseus's wife, Penelope, to marry them. But they're just going through Odysseus's entire wealth. They're eating his his animals, they're drinking his wine, and they're just making life miserable for the people who are are there at Odysseus Odysseus's estate. And so for Odysseus to come back as a beggar is is really it's so good because these suitors, despite them perhaps having wealth and and uh, being you know high up in the in the in the echelon of, of people, they, they're begging in a way. I mean, they're, they're stealing, they're stealing from Odysseus. And so here you have an actual beggar come in and it's just, it's interesting to watch how these suitors who are acting very similar to how Odysseus is in, in the sense of begging and, and taking and, uh, how they treat Odysseus. And it's just, it's just a brilliant manner of storytelling but just that contrast alone of of the suitors and the beggar was was wonderful but throughout the story you've got things like odysseus being compared to agamemnon penelope odysseus's wife being compared to clemenstra uh, agamemnon's wife or even being compared to helen uh, helen of troy or helen of sparta you've got telemachus versus orestes uh, Orestes is um, Agamemnon's son, and and just comparing the two sons, Telemachus is Odysseus's son, and then you've got uh, the loyal versus the disloyal slave. You've got the loyal housemaid versus the disloyal housemaid, and so just throughout the story, you have all these different contrasts, and it it's so wonderful to 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 view those and and to to look at one compared to the other, and then gain so much more of a of an understanding of, of what's happening. Um, next, next thing that, uh, that really stood out to me in the Odyssey is, is along the lines of these contrasts. And it was the idea of, of honor that comes up. So in the Iliad, honor is, is a key part of the story. The, the honor, uh, of Achilles, uh, Achilles is, is, told that he's going to be honored and he doesn't see much honor or glory in 
in his life. And so he's kind of, you know, part of, part of his, his deal. He's, he's just wondering, you know, when, when am I going to get this glory? And it's, it's a big part of the Iliad, but it's a big part of, of war. And, and the idea is that I will die gloriously in battle and then songs will be sung of how glorious I am. And that will be my reward for doing this, being a part of this war. And, and that's a very strong idea throughout the Iliad. What the Odyssey does with that idea is, is very interesting in that it's, you, you can't have that same intensity for glory and honor in a non-war situation. And so th- that part where you see the Odysseus's men take the cows that they were told not to take. There's, there, there's this urgency about it. They're, they think they're going to starve. There's like, you know, we just, we just got to do this. There's this, there's that, this w- willingness to, to do things just on, on the fly like that. Uh, whereas that is a, a very good thing to do in wartime. Uh, you, you may be viewed as brave and, and that kind of thing in a non-war situation. It's, it's deadly. And, and you see that in that case. So even between the Iliad and the Odyssey, so that very first part, I, I, I describe contrasts in this story, but here's a contrast between the Iliad and the Odyssey. And, and it's one that you're invited to, to look at. Uh, so not only just within the Odyssey, but, but spanning the two books by Homer to consider different ideas that you see in both of these books and how they contrast with each other. That was a very fun and, and exciting thing to do as well. You've, you've probably heard of the sirens. Uh, this is going to be my, my third thing, but the, the sirens, uh, I always, I always heard it in the sense of like the sirens, the song was so beautiful that, that Odysseus had to be tied to the mast of the ship just so he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't want to go and, and just listen to the, to these beautiful songs for the rest of his life. But, it, but the, the emphasis and the thing I was picked up on, uh, incorrectly was, was just the beauty of the song itself. And, and that's not the case. So let me read the part in the Iliad here. This is book 12. Odysseus, come here. And this is the, the siren speaking. And, and uh, sorry, just let me take myself out of this for a second. Odysseus has been warned about the siren, so he puts wax in all of the ship, his shipmates' ears so they cannot hear the sirens, but he really wants to hear the song of the sirens. And so they tie him to the mast. You've probably heard that before, that phrase tie, you know, tie, being t- tied to the mast. They tie him to the mast so that he cannot... He cannot direct them to like, yeah, we got to go, we got to go over there by the, by the song. Uh, and if he does start yelling and start telling them to do that, they're to pull the ropes tighter on him. And so he can hear everything going on. They can't. And, and that's where we are right here. Odysseus, come here. You are well known from many stories. Glory of the Greeks. Now stop your ship and listen to our voices. All those who pass this way hear, hear honeyed song poured from our mouths. The music brings them joy and they go on their way with greater knowledge. Since we know everything the Greeks and Trojans suffered in Troy by God's will and we know whatever happens anywhere on earth. End quote. And so that's, that's the temptation there. They, they, uh, they, they butter home, um, Odysseus up there a little bit. Glory, you're the glory of the Greeks. Odysseus, come here. You are well known from many stories. And so that's, that's the siren call, is that Odysseus can learn all the parts of the war. He can hear his praise sung from the parts of the war that he was in. He can hear that. But, 
But the the lesson of the sirens, and, and uh, I want to read just a, a quick section here from the, the introduction where Emily Wilson talks about this, but I thought this was so interesting. The temptation, uh, and again, this is the siren temptation, the temptation is as much knowledge as glory. The sirens offer Odysseus what no single individual engaged in the conflict can have, a full and complete understanding of what happens in the war and what it meant. In resisting the sirens, Odysseus acknowledges that he will have to go on acting out the consequences of the war without ever being fully aware, fully able to know what it was all about, end quote. I thought that was just incredible. It just, here's Odysseus, he, he, the, the temptation is to get sucked into knowing every single detail about the war. And, and that's the siren song. That's where men crash into the, the land where the sirens are and, and they never escape because of the, this temptation is so strong. And, and we know this temptation. We know this desire to know everything perhaps of, uh, about our story or, or how things happened or, and, and we're never going to get it. And it's tempting to want to have it. It's tempting to, to, to try to obtain that. And so I guess this part just stuck out so much because it was a little different from how I had originally understood the story of the sirens, but it was, it was, I mean, it's almost back to the garden of Eden where, where you don't have certain knowledge or you you think you don't have certain knowledge and you want to grasp that with, with everything you have. And you don't think you can move forward without knowing why something happened to you or, or, or what caused this person to do such and such. Or in this case, you know, what are all the pieces of the war that how did it all come together? Uh, I want this perfect knowledge of what happened. And I want to hear the glorious parts of what I did. I want to hear those sung over and over. And it's just not possible. You cannot get that. But the temptation is there. Fourth thing I want to cover in this section is just that in the Odyssey, there is no happily ever after. Odysseus returns. He reunites with Penelope. That is beautiful. It is, it is, it is a wonderful scene, but it's not, it, book 24 is not, and then they lived happily ever after. Uh, Odysseus has just killed all of these suitors. And I, I think in, in, most, in most movies or books, you would just kind of have Okay, he killed all the suitors. Everything's back to normal. We're good to go. He's he's got his woman back happily ever after. But this book is is real. And what happens is there are family members of the suitors and they are not pleased that Odysseus has just slaughtered their family member. And so they're coming for blood. And so Odysseus has to run. And there's a prophecy in the middle of, of the Odyssey just of, of how the end of Odysseus's life will, will be. And we, we, don't, we don't see that happen in the, 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 this book, in the Odyssey, but there, there's that prophecy there. So you can kind of guess, you know, this is what's going to happen. And, but, but boy, how, how close to real life is that? I mean, how... We don't usually get these things that are just, and, and they lived happily ever after. Uh, there's there's not this definitive moment in which everything is made right and there's just everlasting peace. In fact, it's it's kind of the opposite. You 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 might think that's what's going to happen when Odysseus comes home and takes charge, but it's not. And I I I, I loved that. I I thought that was a wonderful part of the story perhaps not uh all all happy and and hallmark like but but perhaps more more realistic 
All right, now to segment three and the one thing, my one key takeaway from the Odyssey. Let me just set the scene here. Uh, I'm going to go back to the Iliad for a moment. Uh, so much of that book, the Iliad, centers around Achilles and his perceived lack of glory. He's given a choice of sorts. There, it's, it's part of a prophecy that his mother gives him, and he can either die young and, and get glory, or he can uh, live a long time but not get glory. And you see him wrestle with this in the Iliad. There's one point where he's on the ships and he's he's telling the embassy, you know, I'm, I'm just going home. I'm not going to do this. Um, his father is back home. He, he you, you, you see him kind of thinking of his father often and the, kind of a desire to go back home and just just to have uh, peace. And, and so that's the, the choice set before Achilles. Uh, to some degree, he, he does have some a little bit of agency in the sense that he could turn his ship around and, and head back to, to Greece. But it's it's constantly put before him. And, and as we know from the Iliad, he chooses the life of a quick, uh, short life, but with glory. And that's the end of it. Uh, in the Iliad, we actually don't even see him die. Uh, we just, we know that it's about to happen. And so when we get to the Odyssey, he is is dead. But there's just an, an, an amazing scene in Book 11 where... Odysseus goes to Hades, and he's able to talk to a lot of people that he knew from the war. He's able to talk to Agamemnon, and he's able to talk to Achilles. And Achilles, Achilles uh, so, so this is the part where Odysseus uh, speaks to, to Achilles. So I'm going to start with what Odysseus says to Achilles and then read uh, what Achilles said to Odysseus. So this is Odysseus to Achilles. In your life, we Greeks respected you as we do gods. And now you are here. You have great power among the dead. Achilles, you should not be bitter at your death. But he replied, Odysseus, you must not confront me or you must not comfort me for death. I would prefer to be a workman hired by a poor man on a peasant farm than to rule as king of all the dead. End quote. That is what Achilles wanted. I would, I would prefer to be a workman hired by a poor man on a peasant farm than to rule as king of all the dead. And so you, you, you look back at the Iliad and you think of, of the chances that Achilles had to, to go back home or to potentially even end the war, and he didn't. And, and his desire for glory, the, as part of that prophecy, his desire for glory is part of what furthered on the war. It led to a number of, of deaths of the Greeks. Uh, once he got back into the war, it led to a number of deaths on the Trojan side. But what we see here is that what Achilles actually wanted was a quiet life. I would rather, I would prefer to be a workman hired by a poor man on a peasant farm than rule as king of all the, all the dead. So if he had a chance to go back, he, he, perhaps he would have returned to Greece instead of staying for glory. It kind of begs the question, what, what would we think of him today had he done that? If the, if the Iliad took that kind of a turn where Achilles just leaves the war, leaves the Greeks to, to battle amongst themselves or to battle against the Trojans without him, uh, what would that have meant for the Greeks? Would they have, would they have won? Um, just, you know, that brings up so many questions, but, but it's just an interesting thing. And it's something that, that amazed me. First off, you, you just don't get this perspective much. Uh, the dead don't speak. 
And yes, there are there are stories where uh, you can enter this kind of fantasy world where you can hear what the dead say. Uh, you can travel to Hades, as in this this story, and 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 see what Achilles actually thought. But in in our lives, we can't hear from the dead. We 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 can't. Once someone's dead, that we there's no there's no correspondence. But this the Odyssey allows us to see what Achilles thought. And, and that is just, it's an incredible bit of storytelling, but just really makes you think and, and really makes you reconsider the, the entire Iliad uh, as well. So I was amazed at, by that. And then uh, in the introduction, Emily Wilson kind of points out that uh, back to this comparison thing, there, there's this, this tie between Achilles and Odysseus. And in, in the Odyssey, there's a part uh, kind of right at the beginning where Odysseus is, he's with uh, Calypso and Calypso is is a goddess and he's with her for seven years and and Odysseus is trapped in a way uh, I mean she's this gorgeous goddess they're having they're having time together they're sleeping together like every day Odysseus is crying though because he's he's sad he wants to go back to his wife and Calypso has offered him immortality she's if if he stays with her he he will live forever. Uh, he will not be able to go home, but he will be with this goddess. They they will have time together all the time, and in in this kind of par- this land that's that's presented as a paradise. And Odysseus chooses against that. And so I want to, I want to read what um, what Emily Wilson says about this. The choice of Odysseus is parallel to the choice of Achilles in that it is a decision to be mortal in order to gain a particular kind of masculine honor. If if Odysseus had stayed with Calypso, he would have been alive forever and never grown old, but he would have been forever subservient to a, a being more powerful than himself. He would have lost forever the possibility of being king of Ithaca, owner of the richest and most dominant household on his island, in a state wealthy in pigs, sheep, goats, fruit, grain, wine, and slaves, with an old father, a young son, and a desirable, much courted, and valuable wife, all devoted to him, and all increasing his value in the eyes of his neighbors. End quote. And so, whereas with Achilles, Achilles makes the choice for glory, we see Odysseus making the choice, the the... A, a, a glory and immortality in, in Odysseus making the choice for not having this glorious relationship with Calypso, but instead get, uh, saying no to immortality and returning to Penelope, his wife. And as stated in the last segment, that doesn't end up being this perfect idyllic thing that uh, that it is presented with Calypso, but it but it's real and it, it's what he wanted in it. And it it's kind of the opposite route that Achilles took. So that's my one thing. It's kind of one and a half thing in, in the sense that uh, you've, got, you've got this insight into Achilles, but then also how that ties together with Odysseus. And it kind of ties together with this whole theme of this episode of just these contrasts within, with not, not only within the Odyssey, but, but even between the Iliad and the Odyssey. What a, what a book, what, a, what an epic, what a past two months it has been reading through the Iliad and the Odyssey. Uh, I do plan to read through both of them again. Just I, I, I want to be sure I get these books. I want to be sure I, I, I spend a lot of time with them. I know the references. I, I know the stories deep in my soul because I know I'm going to be seeing these stories. I'm going to be seeing reference to these references to these throughout the rest of this great books project. So I, I really want to to get to know these these well. Uh, I, I loved the Odyssey. Uh, the 
the contrasts were the the thing that were that were biggest to me. And and I hope if you read it, that that's something that you look out for. Uh, but please do read the Odyssey and the Iliad at some point in your life. I found the Emily Wilson translation of the Iliad. I, I prefer. I, I I first I enjoy the Iliad more, uh, and I thought her translation of the Iliad was better than the Odyssey, but don't listen to that. I, I, I don't have a lot of experience in reading other translations. I will be reading the the Robert Fitzgerald translation, and, and I can say more about the differences after that. But um, but if you just need a good starting place, I thoroughly enjoyed the Iliad Emily Wilson translation. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Love to hear from you. You can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. Let me know what you thought about the Odyssey, maybe stuff that you got out of the Odyssey, things that I missed in this episode. Uh, I would love to hear from you. And, and, and so please do email me if, if, if you have something you'd like to share. You can follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter. And the, web, the website's stock full of resources to help you find the best books and to create your own reading list. You can also find my list of all the great books that I'll be reading over the next 10 plus years. I'll be back in a week or two to discuss another book from my 2023 reading list. It'll probably be the Homeric Hymns. So I'm I'm closing out Homer with some hymns that he wrote about the gods. So whereas the Iliad and the Odyssey are, are mainly about humans with the interaction of the gods the the homeric hymns are mainly about the gods with with a little bit of of humans mixed in so until then keep reading keep learning and keep listening i'm out Mm -hmm.